It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To the stirring theme of Walton's Crown Imperial, William and Catherine emerge from Westminster Abbey in a little bit of sunshine as man and wife, ready to greet the crowds outside who waited so long for this moment. It's almost ten years since that day when the world watched the pomp and circumstance of a future king marrying and street parties across the country celebrated. Prince William and his wife escorted by members of the Household Cavalry. They're travelling in the 1902 State Landor. Back then, Prince William and his new wife were the popular, modern face of the monarchy. But now, a decade on, after the Sussexes quit the firm and gave that jaw-dropping interview. The image of the royal family couldn't be more different. We have seen just a bombshell hit the monarchy and explode and shatter things in the most extraordinary way. The royal family are just firefighting at the moment to try and cope with the fallout. How does Prince William see the evolving role of the royal family? And how will he attempt to rescue their reputation? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, William, a decade as the Duke of Cambridge. I remember that day so well because it was right at the start of my career as a royal correspondent. I had very recently taken on the beat. Royan Nikar is the royal correspondent for the Sunday Times. And it was a sort of baptism of fire leading up to this gargantuan global event. But when it actually happened, it really was the most extraordinary day. It was just everything you wanted a royal wedding to be and more. The pomp, the pageantry, the feeling of this is what Britain does best. But at the heart of it, a really lovely, rather wonderful love story that you looked at and thought, well, that's interesting. It feels like the royal family has evolved and moved on from the last mega fairy tale wedding we remember that didn't end so well. So it was a very positive, happy day. And it just felt like the British public really got behind them as well. I remember I was covering it too. And I remember being down there and just the sort of the crowds and mm. all the girls who turned up in wedding dresses. And just the media circus, the Americans, the Australians, it felt like the whole world was assembled. 
outside the palace. It really did. It was just like you say, a global event. And actually one of my most extraordinary memories of that day was after the wedding, the British press who'd been at the Abbey, we were taken on a little minibus um, down the Mall, which was of course completely closed off to crowds until we were positioned on the Queen Victoria Memorial Monument to wait for William and Kate to come out onto the balcony. And then suddenly once we were on, the police released all the crowds who's just surged down the Mall And suddenly you were surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people. And then when William and Kate came out onto the balcony, of course, to kiss. Lots of shouts from the crowd here. And that's the reward. The first public kiss as husband and wife. It was just the loudest, maddest scene ever. I can still remember it. And that sort of seemed to be a real moment of this is the modern face of the royal family, a great moment of hope. Ten years on, just as they're getting ready to mark their anniversary, it does feel like a very different picture. There's no getting away from it. This is devastating for the royal family. It is all about Harry and Meghan. The Daily Mirror declares it the worst royal crisis in 85 years. Shocking, dramatic, damaging, worse, I would imagine, worse than the palace feared. And then you get this, which literally blows the whole thing right out of the water. An accusation of racism in the royal family, though, is likely to be one of the more damaging claims made in a two-hour special that was full of them. It is a different picture and not one that I think they could have foreseen even just a few weeks ago. We have seen, obviously, since Harry and Meghan did that Oprah interview a couple of weeks ago, just a bombshell hit the monarchy and explode and shatter things in the most extraordinary way. The royal family are just firefighting at the moment to try and cope with the fallout from that and try and think about how some of the damage can be repaired and they can move forwards. But it is really quite an extraordinary development that no one quite foresaw. And seeing Prince William a few days after the interview coming out and having to say to the media and to the public... Can you just let me know, is the the royal family a racist family, sir? We're very much not a racist family. They are not a racist family. That felt like quite a moment too. It was quite a moment. I mean, at the point where you have uh, a future king having to come out to defend his family against remarks that other members of his own family have said in terms of race, which is just the most emotive thing you can imagine. It was an extraordinary moment. But I know that William felt he couldn't leave that remark, that question hanging in the air unaddressed and felt that he had to address it. But it was so extraordinary and and different. Quite often when we lob those questions out on engagements, they will choose not to answer them. But he felt very strongly that he had to tackle that head on. How much damage do you think has been done? They are feeling it, no doubt about it. This is being talked about around the world and not in positive terms. It has done an enormous amount of damage to the family, the individuals, the monarchy, the institution as a whole. And for Prince William, 10 years since he became a duke, it's sort of a moment to look at his career so far, but also sort of what sort of a monarch he might one day make. You've been talking to a lot of people around him. Tell us a bit about that. What do people who who know him, how do they describe him? I think one of the key things about William is that what you see is what you get. Can I deal with the one elephant in the room? What do we call you? (laughs) William. William? William. Yeah. 
In private, you see much more of the kind of funny, quick, bantery side, which you don't necessarily see in public. But I think a lot of people who are very close to him, his friends, people who work with him very closely, will tell you that he is not very different, his public persona, as the man behind all of that, um, other than he's probably a little bit more reserved in public. He's very determined. He's very aware of, I suppose, needing to keep the monarchy relevant and modern without trying to sort of reinvent the wheel. His close friends will tell you at his heart, he's a family man, which is probably the most important thing to him. And I think what's interesting in the last few years is we've seen him just become much more at peace with his role as a father. He feels he's been able to protect his family in terms of privacy. And now we're seeing him feel comfortable with that and sharing a bit more about his own family life with the public. He's much more in the public eye at the moment, but in the past, he's managed to retain something of a a private existence too, working in the air ambulance and also sort of before that with the RAF. Tell us a bit about that. That was a really important time in William's life because when he got married in 2011, I think there was very much an expectation on him and Kate that they were the great big, shining, young, glamorous hope of the monarchy and that they would sort of step into that role very quickly in terms of public-facing duties. And William was absolutely adamant that he didn't feel ready to do that full-time straight away in his 20s and he wanted to be able to have job and jobs doing something that was for himself and not just about the monarchy and public service. And he had those few years with Kate and their growing family, first in Anglesey, with the RAF as a search and rescue helicopter pilot, and then with East Anglian Air Ambulance. I look forward to coming here every day, um, whether it's at 5.30 or going to bed at 2 in the morning. The shift work is still it's, it's exciting and it's challenging for, for its variety more than anything. And the fact that I love working in a team. And that's something that my other job doesn't necessarily do. I'm sort of, you know, you're more out there on your own a little bit. You can't underestimate how important that time was. I mean, from the piece I've written and the people I've spoken to, he was so keen to have that time. And he only felt, I think, he was going to be able to step up to full-time royal duties if he had a few years to himself to be a pilot and a family man and do part-time duties. And, and of course, he came under quite a lot of flack for that. He and his wife, Kate, have been royally criticised for attending fewer official engagements than his 89-year-old grandmother, the Queen. A lot of people thought as someone who was an heir to the throne, he should be doing more sooner. And he was dubbed Workshire Wills and the Reluctant Royal. But even when those headlines kept coming and his popularity seemed to dip a bit, he sort of held firm. And what I was always told at the time was that there was never any pressure from above. And above means Her Majesty the Queen for him to get a wriggle on and do that more quickly. And then when, of course, he took on full-time duties in 2017, he felt ready. He'd had his family time. He'd done his time in his jobs. And I think that strategy has paid off really well. And did having that time doing sort of a relatively normal job out of the public glare, did that shape the way his family has grown too? Well, it seems a long wait. Uh, I'm sure it has been a long wait for the Cape Middleton. Here they come. I think it did, because when he first started his family, the photo calls with Prince George as a baby and, of course, on the steps of the Lindo wing. Well, he's got a good pair of lungs on him, that's for sure. Uh, He's uh, he's a big boy, he's quite heavy, but uh, we're still working on a name. 
So we'll have that as soon as we can. The public appetite for every single detail and picture of William and Kate's family was huge. And they did have a real problem in those first few years with paparazzi. This morning, Kensington Palace has issued a stern warning to paparazzi that are targeting Prince George. Palace officials say that some photographers are going to extreme lengths to snap pictures of the young little cute royal. The rage William felt towards the media was all-consuming for him, and it took a while to sort that out. The fact that he had a few years of family time, and you can see what a close family they are now, I think was hugely important and is hugely important now for the man that he is now. It's so interesting that you talk about the rage he used to feel for the press. I mean, tell us a bit about that, because both brothers seem to have had quite a difficult relationship with the media. They have, and I think people are always very quick to assume that Harry is full of fury towards the media and William isn't. Well, William has a shared experience with Harry. He's been through everything that Harry has been through in terms of his mother. And William also felt, particularly with paparazzi, that history was repeating itself. When Kate was his girlfriend, she was hounded by the paparazzi. Hounded. And it used to infuriate him, and it continued to infuriate him when... I was told by their close advisers that Carol Middleton was pounced on by paparazzi when she was with the children. I mean, it was awful. But William took a very firm line and had great advisers around him and press secretaries who took a a really strong stance with the paps and would go after them legally when they crossed the line. And so things sort of settled down after a while. And what is interesting about William is that I wouldn't sit here and say William loves all the press. (laughs) He doesn't. But he has a very, very astute understanding of how to use the media in order to boost the work that he wants to shine a light on, his campaigns, mental health, racism in football. As he's got older and more experienced, he has become much more at peace with that relationship. Are they similar personalities? Do we know how they got on? I think both of us, he's definitely got more brains than me. I think we've, we've established that from school. But when it comes to all that, I think hand, I'm much better hands-on. Yeah, yeah. so boldness. Did you just ever dig at your boldness? <laughs> what, sorry? Boldness. There's boldness. Yeah, no, 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 it's it's pretty rich coming from a ginger, so I'm quite happy to see where I turned on this one. They got on really well for years and years and years. They were as thick as thieves. Very, very close. They shared a similar sense of humour. Shared very close friendship group as well, actually. They were as close as two brothers can be. In a way, I suppose Prince Harry has just started to harness the power of the media with the Oprah interview. How has that affected the relationship? We know that for years they were very, very close. I think the relationship between Harry and William, Oprah is certainly a turning point. The breakdown of that relationship started quite a long time ago. It predates Meghan. And I think it's really important to remember that. A lot of people put a lot at Meghan's door, which I think is unfair. When Harry and William started to discuss Harry's departure from the royal family and when Mexit was then announced, you know, I wrote quite a lot then that the friction between them had started a few years before because we can't escape the fact that Harry was, a few years ago, the superstar golden boy of the royal family. Everything he did turned to gold... He was adored here and around the world in terms of the work he did with veterans and the Invictus Games. And he was really popular. And 
Yet he was below William in the pecking order and there was an increasing friction and tension between the brothers about the work that they both wanted to do. Harry would have to defer to William. He wanted to do environmental work. It couldn't clash with William and on it went. And this was frustrating to Harry long before Meghan came on the scene. So it really started there and there is no doubt it has deteriorated in the last few years and I would say the Oprah interview is sort of the final straw. That's really interesting because we don't hear very much about the tensions that existed between them pre-Meghan. A lot of the narrative around Megxit was about you know, this American coming along, whisking him off. What caused the friction? Was Harry being prevented from doing things that he really wanted to? There is a hierarchy in the royal family, which most members of the royal family are real sticklers for. And Prince William is one of them. I know that he sees the hierarchy as very important, the pecking order. And I think Harry increasingly found that frustrating. He felt that he was as popular, if not more popular, than some members of the royal family. Therefore, what he wanted to do, he should be able to do. And there's no doubt that when Meghan came on the scene, she certainly agreed with that stance. And so those underlying frictions started to build. What do we know about how much damage that Oprah interview has done to the brothers' relationship? I broke last Sunday that they'd been in touch and we've had Gail King just last week saying that she had spoken to Harry and Meghan who told her... Well, I'm not trying to break news, but I did actually call them to see how they were feeling. And it's true, Harry has talked to his brother and he has talked to his father too. Uh, the word I was given was that the, those conversations were not productive. And I think that tells you just about everything you need to know about the state of those relationships now. And do you think that can be repaired? They obviously did used to be very close and have sometimes traumatic shared past together. I hope those relationships can be repaired. There are very close friends of theirs that say, at the end of the day, those brothers will always be there for each other. There are also very close friends that say that brother-to-brother relationship is irreparably changed given what's happened. So it's going to be tough, but they have been through extraordinary shared life experience that no one else has. So I suppose all you can do is hope that at some point down the line, they can patch things up, but it's certainly not going to be easy. And I don't think it's going to be quick. William and Harry are expected to be reunited this summer when a statue of their mother, Diana, is unveiled in the grounds of Kensington Palace on July the 1st what would have been her 60th birthday. Her memory clearly still looms large for both of the brothers. William has spoken publicly recently in documentaries about how important she is, particularly with his children. It was a really interesting exchange he had not long ago in a documentary where he was visiting The Passage, a homelessness charity. I remember being taken by my mother to a homelessness shelter at a young age, her explaining to me why the people I met there matter. Uh, and why no society can be healthy unless we take other people seriously. And he talked about when he does the school run and takes his children to school. And when they're in the car with him, if they see homeless people and they ask William, why can't they go home? William talks to them about that and why they can't go home. And it's evocative of when Diana used to take him um, as a child to homelessness centres so that he could understand life outside palace walls. He's also talked about the fact that they never knew their grandmother, but that he talks about Diana to them, or Granny Diana, as he calls her. I think constantly talking about Granny Diana. (laughs) Um, So we've got more photos up around the house now of her, and 
we talk about her a bit and stuff. And I do regularly putting George or Charlotte to bed, talk about her and just try and remind her that um, there are two grandmothers. There were two grandmothers. That's a really interesting dynamic. He's very keen to keep her alive, not just as a legacy to the public, but as a, a memory for his own children. Coming up, how might a future King William shape the monarchy? Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. To celebrate the beginning of spring, you can save 50% on full digital access to The Times and The Sunday Times for six months and stay well informed on all the latest news. The offer lasts until the 24th. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times and subscribe today. 
Whilst the Queen has always preserved a distance from the political fray, she was drawn into one of the most controversial political moments of recent history when, in August 2019, she prorogued Parliament. The move, carried out on the advice of the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, shut down parliamentary debate and was seen as undemocratic. The advice was later ruled to have been unlawful. Baroness Hale delivered the Supreme Court's devastating judgment. The decision to advise Her Majesty to prorogue Parliament was unlawful because it had the effect of frustrating or preventing the ability of Parliament to carry out its constitutional functions without reasonable justification. Chided by the law, Boris Johnson was forced to apologise to the Queen. It was an episode that Prince William doesn't want to repeat. He was cross about that. He was cross about the fact his granny had been pushed an awful situation which Boris had to then apologise for. He will be more questioning of the advice he gets from his own private secretaries and, I suppose, the advice that comes from Number 10 if it looks like it's going to be putting him in a situation that then it's proved to be unlawful. Uh, you can imagine that William would have had probably more to say about that. And as sort of the moderniser in the family now, it seems like a lot of his role, certainly for the foreseeable future, will be about trying to improve and repair the family's image. Do we know how he's setting about that? I think it's very early days, but I think what will probably be very helpful for him is that if you look at the work that William already does, the huge issues that he has chosen going back quite a few years now, mental health, something that was raised as an issue in the Oprah interview. William and Kate have spent years campaigning on supporting people's mental health and highlighting that more. Race. William has, going back quite a while now, in his role as president of the FA, has made racism in football one of the key things that he wants to absolutely tackle and get right to the heart of. Both here in the UK and in many other countries across the world, we are lucky to have incredible filmmakers, actors, producers, directors and technicians, men and women from all backgrounds and ethnicities enriching our lives through film. We heard him talking last year at the BAFTAs as president of BAFTA telling the Academy off. Yet in 2020, and not for the first time in the last few years, we find ourselves talking again about the need to do more to ensure diversity in the sector and in the awards process. That simply cannot be right in this day and age. This year, we saw a much more diverse list. So these are all things that William has been working on for quite a long time. There's no doubt that the issues that were raised in that Oprah interview suggest that perhaps the monarchy needs to do more. But William is very well poised because he's already working on a lot of those issues. There was that remarkable moment when he was talking about LGBTQ mm. issues. Tell us about that. I was there actually for that engagement and that was really quite different to any engagement I've been on with William. We were at the Albert Kennedy Trust, which is a, a really great charity which supports LGBT young people who may be homeless, you know, might find life difficult, aren't accepted by their communities, by their families. And William was there to show his support and to hear more about their experiences. 
And he was asked by one of the young people he was talking to. What do you think about that in terms of if one of your kids um, would be LGBT? Sure. I've only started thinking about it since I've had children, really, to be honest. And so it is something I'm nervous about, not because I'm worried about them being gay or anything. It's more about the fact that I'm worried about the pressures, as you are, yeah. and I'm here, that they're going to face and how much harder their life could be. I fully support, yes. you know, whatever decision they, they make. But it, it does worry me from a parent point of view how much, how many barriers, you know, hateful words, persecution, or all that discrimination that might come. That's what that's the bit that really troubles me a little bit. You know, I've been on a lot of royal engagements in my time and it was a very big departure from what you hear members of the royal family normally talking about. I can't even imagine anyone ever asking the Queen that in her day or even the Prince of Wales. So it was a really big departure. William knew those words would be picked up and they would go around the world. He knew by saying that the debate that was then sparked was, gosh, well, if a future king thinks it's all right, it's all right. He understood that by saying that, he hoped that young people might be judged less. This is the future king who's been on the front of Attitude magazine, a gay magazine, which was another very you know, deliberate thing on his point to show solidarity with the gay community. The Queen is obviously incredibly popular in, in all polls. She's a much-loved figure in society. He's clearly sort of a modernising character, so there will be a bit of a departure in their styles. Do we know how they get on? They get on really well now. I know that he feels their relationship in the last few years is, I think, the best it's been. For years, people have always just assumed that it's always been a very straightforward relationship. I think that the last few years where he's really had a seat at the table with the Queen for the big decisions that have shaped what the future monarchy will look like, and we're talking about things like Prince Andrew effectively being sacked from the firm, Harry and Meghan leaving, he has had a lot of input with the Queen on things like that. And whereas their styles are very different, I think he looks at her and thinks that she has done an extraordinary job for the best part of 70 years, and he has a lot to learn from her. And I think he feels that their views are more aligned than ever, is is the phrase that I have heard. A decade after Prince William's wedding and this moment when the the whole world watches him really assume the role as the Duke of Cambridge. What are we to make of those comments in the Oprah interview where Harry said both his brother and his father felt trapped? I think that those comments from Harry are more of a reflection of how he felt and I think he slightly projected that onto his father and his brother because I got a very strong kickback after that, that William really does not feel trapped. That is not how he looks at his role and his lot. He understands his destiny is slightly mapped out for him, but he's never felt trapped or caged in a system. In fact, I think he feels like he sort of grabbed it and he's running with it and he's shaping it in the way that he wants to. And I think those comments really did not go down well with the Prince of Wales or William. Harry has a different path. He has a different destiny. He always had a little bit more leeway and freedom as we've seen he's left. But I think it didn't go down well, Harry saying that, you know, his father and his brother were trapped. And in terms of modernising the monarchy, there was sort of a sense of renewal, I suppose, after his wedding and with the arrival of his children. Do you think the latest episode, though, with Harry and Meghan now moving to America and the Oprah interview, do you think that actually knocks it back quite a long way? It definitely has had an impact, particularly with younger people. I mean, you just need to look at the polling that came out last week in the aftermath of the interview. And there is a real generational divide between younger people who are much more supportive of Harry and Meghan's stance and older people much more 
squarely behind the monarchy and their response. So yes, there is an issue there and it will have had an impact in terms of how modern or relevant the monarchy feels. But I think it's probably a good opportunity for the younger royals to try and tackle that head on and think about that even more than they do already in terms of the work that they do going forwards. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Sunday Times Royal Correspondent, Roya Nikar. You can read more of Roya's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into for a future episode, then please do drop us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.